0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Okay, we're in a series called Battle Ready. Um Preparing for spiritual warfare. So I want to do some refreshment from last week because I realized that um, it probably messed with a lot of your theology or at least challenged some assumptions you've carried in. Do, am I right in assuming that your assumptions were, were challenged? Yes, okay, uh, for three of us. If you have questions, if you have questions, um, like just you want to follow up from last week's sermon or this week's or next. Um, on the website you can go online there's a place to just uh, fill out a form and i would love next week just to spend a few minutes just answering questions that come in so we can address because i'm realizing as we head into spiritual warfare there's all sorts of things that we begin to unlock uh, about god and what he's like you guys good um, I don't want to pray. I'll pray in a little bit afterwards because we, we're, we're already cruising on time, but I love just just hands if you want to intercede for this gathering. We did it in the last two services. Throw your hands up if you'll just intercede for the people here and just the community. There's so much going on, and I just want to make sure that we're covering it spiritually. Um, I, I, I As I've been studying for this, I just want to tell you why we're doing spiritual warfare. Um, I, I I'm realizing how much of Jesus' ministry is spiritual warfare. It's unbelievable how much his ministry is defined as warfare. And as Christians who are following Jesus, we're going to start this year-long series of practicing the way of Jesus. So how do we become disciples of Jesus? Um, I'm realizing we can't just like ask you to take on new habits of behaviors and spiritual disciplines um, without addressing the spiritual realities that are opposing some of those habits that you, you already are participating in. Does that make sense? We'll get into that in a couple weeks. I wanna talk about this, but let's jump in. Thanks for the intercession. So since the beginning of the 18th century enlightenment, I'm just gonna do a quick review. So this is familiar from last week, but I wanna set it up. Um, Uh, the 18th century enlightenment rationalistic and scientific worldview assume there is no reality beyond the natural material universe. If something cannot be measured or observed in a laboratory, then it does not exist. This materialistic worldview has so affected Western Christianity um, that we automatically regard the work of the supernatural with skepticism and doubt. And one of my favorite movies says it best. So this is the worldview we all live in. And I wanted to just put this up here because it's a, one of my favorite films. So, so, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I'll name that film. Yes, Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he didn't exist. And this is the Western worldview. Is it not? We, 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 um, we we have all sorts of assumptions about the way the world works and operates because of scientific, materialistic, Enlightenment, rationalistic thinking. So our worldview shapes how we live and interact in the surrounding uh, things in our life, how the world, how we interact in the world with people around us. It affects how we view God. It affects how we pray. How we do community life. It affects the things we buy or don't buy. Um, this is this is the paradigm. This is the idea of paradigm. So I want to give us. I want to remind us as Christians, as disciples, we don't need a political party paradigm of the scriptures. We need a biblical paradigm. We need to go to the scriptures first with context and understanding about what it meant then when it was originally said and apply it to today and then operate in the world with that worldview. That's the authority. It's not your personal experience, although that is important. It's not just culture or where culture is headed, although that is important. It's not just tradition. It's not just our local church community. It's the biblical authority of the text. Are you with me? Okay. Some of us are. So, a couple of things. The Old Testament assumes the presence of in- invisible spiritual beings, like human beings, clearly have a mind and a will of their own. They, cannot, they can choose to work with God or against him. So, we talked about this last week. Daniel 10 reveals there are certain evil, invisible, cosmic beings that possess the power to disrupt a plan of God to answer prayer. Just read Daniel 10 and you realize this idea that prayers aren't answered sometimes because, not because you don't have faith, not because God doesn't, his will isn't for it, but because there are cosmic beings opposing the way of life of God. And that led us to a question that kind of pulls on these theologies that we inherit from Sunday school, Theologies that help us make us feel better about ourselves in the world. And that's this idea is God in control or, or is he sovereign? And I, I argued last week that God is sovereign, but not necessarily in control. Control, if your definition of control is that he's the causer of everything, if he is determining, if he is, is um, the author of the world events, and that means he authored the Holocaust, he authored human trafficking. He's, and, and, and the reason that we're arguing against that is because this is what happens when we talk about spiritual warfare. It goes to evil and the problem of evil in God's world. It's also, by the way, when, if you do Alpha, one of the major issues non-Christians have with Christianity is how can there be evil and suffering in this world if God is loving? And so this is one of the answers. We say, well, it's this, from the beginning of time, God wanted mutual, loving, perfect relationship with creation. And if I have a mutual, loving relationship with my son, it means I have to let him grow up and choose to love me back. I don't determine what he likes in this world and what he plays with, right? Because um, that would just that would not be true love. So does that make sense? Uh, that, I'm just rehashing some of the stuff from last week. So um, we, we moved on from there and I looked at the Ephesians passages and some Old Testament, New Testament, and I argued that our battle... Or this is what Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual realities opposing God's way of life, both in us and around us. But I said spiritual warfare almost always feels flesh and blood. It almost, fe- it almost always feels, so the spiritual realities working against us almost always feel emotional, physical, relational, and mental. You guys with me? Good, okay, so I know that we did some heavy theological digging last week. We're going to do some more biblical theology today. Today, I want to give you a a fresh perspective on the ministry of Jesus, an overview of the gospel. So we're going to stay kind of at a high level of this is what the gospels teach about Jesus. Next week, Bill was going to preach, but I'm going to continue this sermon, and we're going to look at probably one story of Jesus. Um, and and look at what spiritual warfare in one particular story. So we'll kind of come in. And then the following week on August 27th, I'm going to talk about discipleship as warfare. And we're going to talk about what are the things that are opposing us. And I know already some of you are like, wow, this is so weird. I'm not used to hearing about warfare and spiritual warfare and the devil and all these things, um, and that's the problem. I reached out to some friends that are pastors, and John Mark Comer and Mike Erie and and Francis Chan and and leaders that I respect. I said, Don Williams, give me all the stuff you've done on spiritual warfare, and none of them had stuff except for Mike. He had a couple of things from Ephesians, but nobody's done a series. So I, I, it's, it's fascinating. There's not a lot of, out there on spiritual warfare, so... This is my attempt to give you um, what is preparing us for a new season. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, 10 o'clock, let's do this. The ministry of Jesus. If you have a Bible, we're going to be bouncing around. So I encourage you, um, get comfortable flipping pages. We're going to jump around. Starting in fir- uh, We're going to start in 1 John chapter 3. So it's an epistle of John who was an apostle of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And here's a quick summary of some stuff that uh, he says about Jesus' ministry. And we'll look at verse 7 um, through 8. Chapter three of 1 John. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he's referring to Jesus. Jesus is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then this is what he says. The reason the son of God or Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason, so John, reflecting back on the ministry of Jesus, he's also the gospel writer of the book of John, um, reflects that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What is he doing? talking about here. Well, go to John chapter 10, and you don't have to. I'm going to put this word on the screen. We'll just want to show you one more from John. So John chapter 10, not first John. John 10, 10. This is Jesus speaking, and look at what he says about his own ministry. He says, the thief, which is referring to the enemy of God, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here's Jesus talking about his ministry. This is why I've come. He references an enemy who comes to do the opposite of what Jesus comes to do. He comes to bring life. The word zoe, it's referring to eternal life, which isn't about what happens when you die. It's about meaningful life. You could say the way life was supposed to be in the first place, but have it to the full, meaning abundant, nourishing rich life. This is the purpose of Jesus. He comes to bring life, but in bringing life, he's opposing the things that oppose that life, which which I want to just make sure we get this, because this idea of life in the kingdom pulls us all the way back to the story, the bigger story of, of the Bible. So Genesis chapter one begins with God creating the cosmos, and we hear this all the time. Why do I always talk about Genesis one? Because the way the story begins shapes the story you're telling. Genesis begins in chapter one, not in chapter three. You're like, wow, that's, yeah, obviously, Darren. (laughs) But how many of us, when we talk about the story of God, we tell the story of you're a sinner that needs to be saved? That's not how the story begins. It actually begins with God creating humanity in his own image. Let's go to that verse. Genesis 1, verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue is really important. And then rule or have or exercise dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in the beginning. God designs humanity to live in perfect, loving relationship with him in his image, to carry authority, power, but also to carry rule and subdue, to subdue and rule, to care, steward, and have dominion over creation. It's like God, from the beginning of time, is looking for partners to carry on his way of life through relationship with him, for the rest of creation. God in Genesis, the language is so strong, is partnering with huma- humanity to extend the garden for the rest of creation, okay? This is how it begins. We are designed to rule creation, not and to reign over it, but that is only going to work in perfect loving relationship with God on his behalf because it's not ours, it's his. I, this is, are you with me still? Because what happens is we're designed to do that, to steward creation, to rule on his behalf, in his image and likeness. And then in Genesis 3, the serpent, the accuser, comes and tempts Adam and Eve to displace the relationship with God, essentially. And sin enters into the story. In Genesis 3, sin is introduced to God's perfect creation. And as a result of sin, evil takes over, death becomes the result, and we hand our dominion and rule over to Satan and the powers that are opposing God's way of life. Are you with me? Now, this is the whole Old Testament in a nutshell. So we get, okay, so then, this is big stuff, okay? The big story. Jesus comes onto the scene, and in Mark chapter 1, he says, look, um, he says, the time has come, this is Mark's summary of Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus starts preaching about God's reign and rule being available for everyone. Join this movement of God is repent and believe. It's, it's change your mind, turn, change your directions, and believe. And join the movement. Become a part of this new way of God. And as he preaches the kingdom, he's opposing this, the kingdom of Satan. He's opposing all the powers and rulers that are, that are against God's reign, that are not present on earth. So Jesus comes onto the scene. He proclaims this, but then he, he begins to act like he's in charge. People are like, he's got authority. Look at him. And he begins to address the effects of sin and evil in the world. He addresses sin. He forgives sin. He, just, he, he heals sickness, which is a result of the fall. And it will one day there will be no sickness. Um, he he uh, liberates those afflicted by evil spirits and those that are oppressed. Jesus quiets the storm. The language in Mark's gospel for this, by the way, is exorcism. He takes authority, because he basically um, speaks to order what is chaos in nature. Who does that in Genesis? Yahweh, God. So Jesus and then he, and then he he defeats the greatest tyrant of them all death and NT Wright says this death is the last weapon of the tyrant the enemy and the point of the resurrection despite much misunderstanding is that death has been defeated resurrection is not the redescription of death it is the overthrow and with that the overthrow of those whose power depends on it Can I get an amen Yeah, that's that's what Resurrection Sunday's all about. The the thing that kept us from God for the rest of eternity is no longer in charge. Death is defeated by Christ. And Paul will say, um, on the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers. So Jesus comes onto the scene. He, He preaches his kingdom, which is opposing Satan's kingdom, and he begins to take back dominion over creation, Right? This is what he's doing. We, I read Jesus as this like passive lamb. When I, Mark, the commentators are saying, no, 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 in Mark, Jesus is the divine warrior. He is opposing the enemies of Yahweh through sacrificial love, but taking back from the spiritual um, authorities and powers what is rightfully God's and God gives it right back to humanity. This is, this is, what Jesus's ministry is about. So let's just look at a couple of passages um, to give us a fresh perspective on his ministry because it's so funny how because of our Western worldview, we read over the scriptures kind of passively with all sorts of assumptions that we just kind of read over the text. We just allow it to kind of be something that happened back then. And I think as I've been reading this and what I'm hoping for is for us to recognize the implication of what it means to be a follower today, because if we look at Jesus's ministry and we think, okay, Jesus desires to give all of us his ministry, that's what it means to be his disciple and we're going to talk for a year about this. We define discipleship as someone who um, discipleship is someone who learns how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did and in those categories we're going to talk through what those categories look like for in detail but as we summarize it the, to be a disciple in the first century is to be with your rabbi spend time constant time in his presence you would literally copy him you'd become be with him you'd become like him you would cut your hair like him you would dress like him and then you would just do what he did so if this is what jesus's ministry is the summary of his ministry then this is the expectation of what it means to be his disciple today so check this out um Let's just look at Mark. We'll start in Mark and we'll look at Matthew and Luke and then um, we'll go from there. Are we, are we good? Is everyone doing good on this stuff? Okay. Um, okay, Mark chapter three, verse 14. Here's a summary of Jesus calling his disciples and then Mark summarizes Jesus' ministry with one sentence. He says, Jesus, uh, verse 13 of Mark three. Jesus went up, to, uh, went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over, over uh, authority to drive out demons. So Mark's summary of the ministry of Jesus, his, the summary of what he preached was the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. That's one like Mark has 16 chapters. It's so fast. It's the first gospel we have ever recorded. Um, it, it is written to a Roman context. It's it's very Roman. It's quick. It's fast paced. Like you just have to keep up. It's an action film. If there if there it was a film, it would be an action film. And in Mark's gospel, he he kind of summarizes his teaching, and then he summarizes his ministry. And here's the summary: to preach, and have authority to drive out demons. There are 13 references in a 16 chapter book about the personified Satan or a demon being casted out in Mark alone. So in Mark's gospel, uh, one author says, to remove the thread of exorcism ministries of Jesus and the disciples would be to destroy the fabric of Mark's account. Are you with me? We we just push it off as, oh, that's what they struggled with back then. But I think it's what verbal Kent says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing us he didn't exist. So we approach our faith, are issues with flesh and blood rather than with the spirit. So Mark, summary, two things. He preaches and he casts out demons. What does that do? If all you had, I've been praying through this. Like I've been talking to Alex and John last night at dinner. I was like, if we, if we were gonna start a church again and we only had the New Testament, and if we only had bits and pieces of the New Testament, how would we do our church? If we, we didn't have this culture that tells us you have these microphones and you have speakers and a stage, like if we just had the what would it look like? Would it look like what we've created? This is why for me, house churches is so important in where we're going. But I was thinking if all I, if all I had, which is what people had, they were like given these letters, if all we had were of, of the story of Jesus was Mark, what would our, our ministry look like? There'd be a lot of preaching and deliverance. You with me? Um, so Matthew chapter four, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew four. Again, I'm just giving you the kind of the big overview. Matthew 4, 23. This is again like a summary statement for the book of Matthew. Verse 23 says this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So he's, he's preaching and it says, and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. let's keep going, and brought, uh, brought to him, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, and those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So in Mark's summary, or Matthew's summary, we see three things: preaching, healing and deliverance ministry. That's Matthew. Are you with me? Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 4. Is anyone interested in this? I'm just wondering if, okay, okay. I just can't feel it like I can't. I, I, it's been a while for me since I've been preaching so consistently. Um, Luke 4, chapter 18. I really want you to go. If you go to one passage, go to this passage. This is Luke, the author of Luke, the last Jedi. Um, I mean, the author of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Uh, and, and um, to December 14th, can't get here fast enough. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but for those that have ears to hear, bless you. Um. <laughs> okay, Luke chapter, I gotta pull it in. Luke chapter four, verse 18. Uh, this is the state of the union of, Luke's, uh, of Jesus's ministry according to Luke. So this is um, Jesus saying, this is why I'm here. So we have John, this is why I've come. We have Mark, the summary of Jesus' teaching. We have Matthew, the summary of Jesus' ministry. And then we have Luke, Jesus saying, hey, as it says in Isaiah, verse 18 of chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So I'm just going to break this down. He quotes Isaiah connecting his story as the long-awaited Messiah and King. It's connected to the story about. So this is what Jesus is saying about himself. That the spirit of the Lord. So the ministry of Jesus is marked by an anointing of the Holy Spirit. For what reason? To proclaim good news to the poor, the gospel. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In a nutshell, what are the three things of the gospels, synoptic gospels? What do they summarize the ministry of Jesus as? Preaching, healing, and deliverance. Brothers and sisters, how many of us grow up in Christian churches or have experienced a Christian church where the ministry of Jesus is simply what I'm doing right now? One, one guy who's anointed or been, who's, who's got the church, who's got the gift, that whatever it is, he gets in front of a crowd and preaches. Why haven't we as disciples said it? it's all of us preaching, it's all of us healing ministry, it's all of us deliverance ministry? Nobody taught me this. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. That I grew up in a church where they did ministry to me, not teach me how to do ministry where I was, which is what we want with our youth. Which is what, what, what we're doing with our kids. My son is learning how to pray for the sick in kids' ministry. So if you don't want your kids praying for the sick, don't, don't put them in kids' ministry. <laughs> I, want our, I want my kid to be, go- I heard this story. This is so crazy. I've been hanging out a lot with Francis Chan. I don't say that because uh, for any other reason other than say he's, he's become this massive influence in my life. I spent the night with him. I went to his family's house this weekend, and he's just like, we're just trying to hang out. He wants to disciple me, and I feel so privileged. I'm seeing how he's, he lived, and I'm calling my wife going, I'm ruined, I'm wrecked. I, he's destroying everything about the American idea of Christian pastors for me. He tells me this story about his kid in Costco going around saying, Jesus loves you. Do you know about Jesus? And like someone getting upset, bringing, bringing the kid to his, uh, to his wife, Lisa, and saying, hey, do you know your kid's telling me about like Jesus and hell and all this stuff? And, and then she goes, well, was she nice about it? Yeah, but do you know that's what she's saying? And Lisa goes, yeah, great job, honey. Like, <laughs> like w- what if that was a ministry? We just take our kids and let them free in Costco, get some food. <laughs> I let him heal the sick. I was like, and then my mind, I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, and this is all like, I'm an external processor, so thanks for being my therapy this morning. <laughs> but I'm just being wrecked by this, the scripture. And then I'm realizing like Jesus comes to bring deliverance and that means he's a savior. To deliver someone is the action of being saved or set free. So when we call Jesus savior, we think, oh, he's saving us from our sins. That's just part of the story. And that's what I want you to see, that he comes to save us from the death and destruction and the spiritual opposition and all forms of evil that's waging a war, a war against God's people. He delivers us from that and then gives us power and authority and become a channel of deliverance for everyone. But we settle for being fed on Sunday? What? You need to go out and deliver people. What does this city need? Deliverance. The city needs it more than anything else, I think. They need a Jesus to worship, and they need to, they need to be set free from all the opposition that's around them. All right, I'm gonna save that for the end. In just a second, okay. Woo. okay. Um, so the gospels, I'm just giving us, I want us to be rooted in the text, okay? So if you don't agree with me, that's fine. Read it here. And then wrestle with it yourself, okay? You don't have to believe everything I say. You should be reading about this. You should be learning every day on your own. But I've just been reading the Gospels, reading the Gospels. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to encourage our whole church to read Scripture together. And as I've been reading the Gospels, I'm like, gosh, how have I been missing this ministry? I've, I've just settled for what, meeting in coffee shops with other people that are Christian to talk about their, their walk with God? And that's a good thing. We should care for the church, of course. I don't, I'm not saying that, but I'm like, we should have accountability for people that we're praying for and witnessing to and seeing God's power demonstrated in our life, not just in what we say, not just in how our, our character, but in our actions, do what Jesus did. Um, there are seven specific stories. So there are general stories about Jesus healing demonic, the demoniacs and demon-possessed and oppressed people. And then there are seven specific stories in the Gospels. And I just wanna give you, like, because for me, the authority comes from Scripture, not from a pastor telling you what to believe. But, um, oh, uh, these are the seven. There's a man in the synagogue that's tormented by an unclean spirit. There's a blind and mute demoniac. Next week, I'm going to focus on this one, the, the Gerasene demoniac. It's in three of the Gospels. The uh, Syrophoenician woman's daughter. I love this one real quick. The story of the Syrophoenician is that she finds Jesus on a retreat. He's on the, by the Sea of Tyre, which is a vacation spot with his disciples. Doesn't want anyone to know he's there. Some Gentile woman comes to see him, and she's begging for him to come to her house to heal her daughter who's got a demon-possessed. She's demon-possessed and mute, right? She, uh, she's got issues, so she's demon-possessed. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just vacationing. This is for the children of God. And she's like, well, even the dogs, you know that story? Eat the crumbs off the children's table. And he's like, what? You're, f- what? Like, your faith is crazy. And he's like, okay, she's healed. Doesn't even go to the house. She's like, oh, it's done. Authority. That's Jesus' authority. Doesn't have to show up. He's like, nope, it's done. She goes back and her, her daughter's healed. Um, so that's, I just think that's so crazy. Do you guys think that's crazy? So anyway, I love that story. The epileptic boy, the woman with the spirit of infirmity, and then the mute demoniac in Matthew chapter nine. So these are seven specific stories. And then there's just one more thing. There's Matthew eight where um, where Jesus just or Matthew summarizes all the general stuff. In Matthew 8, 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he was hungry, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in the bed with a fever, so there was no food. He touched her hand, and the fever left, and she got up and began to wait on him. Now they get to eat. Um, when evening came, uh, I, that's literally what's going on, by the way. I, like, the hospitality was from the, the matriarch in that moment, and there was no hospitality, so she's like, all right, you're healed. Give us some food. That's, that's not, it's... That's my subtext. Um, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our diseases. Do you see it? I just want you to see it. This is the ministry of Jesus. Specific stories all throughout the Gospels. Generalized stories. He healed all of the demon-possessed. And John says at the end of his Gospel, there's so many stories, it would fill all the books ever written, he didn't realize that it would go paperless and you could do it on the internet and it'd be Google. Um, but if it was written, it would fill all the books that were ever written. There wouldn't be enough for all the stories of what Jesus did. Um, But we have to take seriously the ministry of Jesus. He came to preach the good news. He came to preach, to heal, and to deliver, to summarize it. In in John, he says he comes to bring life. He comes to bring real life. And what that means is he's going to oppose anything that gets in the way of God's way of life. He's coming to, to, to... to reveal what Jesus, the the life that God intended us to live in the first place, to set us free, to restore creation back to its original place, to bring life the way it was intended to be, and to invite us into partnership with Jesus through his relationship, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to continue on Genesis life in the garden, where we become stewards and partners and exercise dominion and authority over creation. You guys good with that? So like you in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are given a a power and authority to do the things that Jesus did. This is what is expected of you as a disciple. And I think we just lower the bar in church. Just show up, keep showing up. Just volunteer once in a while. Give some money and participate in our events. That's not what this is about. This is about a movement. Movement. This is about a revolution of we, we, God wants to partner with me to, to restore people back to the way they were intended to be in the first place, to see the demon-possessed people and say, get out of here. What are you doing? This is a child of God. You have no place or authority to dwell in him anymore. Jesus took that away. This is this isn't for the special. This isn't for the apostles, these special people. It's for everyone that comes to faith. Some people got baptized a couple weeks ago. Welcome, you get to do it. Right now. I'm waking up Amos. Huh? I can hear him crying. I'm waking him up. That's right. He's like, Daddy's getting upset. You preach it, Daddy. Daddy's gonna preach it. Being a disciple of Jesus is an act of war against the powers and authorities and spiritual realities that oppose God's way of life. There is no neutral territory in the world. Western culture and worldview wants us to believe there's neutrality. There is no neutrality. There is God's kingdom and the opposing kingdom of Satan. Nothing's in between. Mark 6, 6 says this, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He called the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent. They did what Jesus did. And then they drove out many with demons and anointed many with sick, uh, sick people with oil and they were healed. This is just what is expected of discipleship to Jesus, just to continue on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in our own life. And I just, I, I just feel like we, we've just domesticated his message to fit in our image, to fit our cozy lifestyle of, of Netflix and social media and work and podcasts and NPR. And I just, I mean, I just feel like this, we need to wake up. And that's why I've just been feeling like there's a revolution God's inviting us to. And it's gonna reach the nations. Like that's what it's, it's literally like, you have no money, you have no education, but you have Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Great, you are unlimited. Re, unlimited. You have an unlimited resource to the nations. And He says, if you leave homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, uh, uh, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, fields, you will receive a hundred times as much in this present age, and eternal life. And we read that, and I'm like, yeah, but I like this house a lot. I've been saving up for the remodel. This is just what's stirring in my life. It's messing my wife and up. I up. <laughs> we're changing some things as a result, and I just want it to, I want it to keep moving. Sorry. So with that, to finish this up, um, most of us, I just want to let you know, you're invited into this ministry. You're invited into the ministry of deliverance, and we need people um, to step into the authority of Christ. So this is what we're preparing for. Um, I, 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 in, part of the reason we don't see it regularly or experience it is one, because we don't believe the spirit, spiritual reality exists, right? So that's one thing we're opposing. The other is we haven't had an experience with it. So when I first experienced it, I was 19, I was doing ministry in, at MacArthur Park in downtown LA, Skid Row, and there was a homeless person that, knew everything about me, my full name, how to pronounce it, how to spell it, and all the sin that I was doing that week. And I never met her before in my life, and she scared the hell out of me. I have to use that word intentionally. I was terrified. And so it was like that Hollywood movie. It was like this, she's how on, she's scared the heck, and she was talking about all sorts of things. She was snarling and hissing and And I didn't know what to do. I I had never, I started having a panic attack. I had never experienced that. I didn't know what what do I do to pray? Like I was, I ran away. (laughs) I did, I, I tried to pray, I ran away. And then I avoided it. Like I avoided, I had to go back to my car and I was like, I'm going to walk all the way over here, all the way over here. Like it was that bad. And then I, I came into it and I, I began, uh, and the second time, this is another time, we started our church. Again, no experience of this stuff. And there was a woman, uh, a young girl who came in and we, only, we were in downtown at 4th and Elm. And um, this girl starts like grabbing like all of our, our coffee, our tumblers, and like mixing, like she's like literally making a potion out of like communion elements coffee, and like snacks, and she's, she's down here, and there was not really a stage, and she's like dancing and throwing it on us, like this is what's going on, so we grab her, we pull her aside, and we start praying for her, and I'm behind her, and I'm praying for her, and then I'm like quietly praying in tongues, unknown language, I'm just praying, and as I do that, she, it's like I'm burning her hand, or her back, where my hand was touching, and she starts hissing and snarling, and she slaps my hand away, and runs away. Now, that was his second experience. Well, here's what, the follow-up. I was telling the story to our staff. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a good story. I should share this. She gets arrested in downtown LA, spray painting on a church building, love me. Cops put her, uh, 5150 her. They think she's on drugs. They think she's on alcohol. They, they don't know. There's nothing in her system. We get a call. I don't know how. And they're like, hey, this girl's crazy. She's here. Do you know anyone? I don't know what to do. But I know it's demonic. So I called the only place that I know is St. James in Newport Beach, which was influencing us in the spirit. They go over and pray for her and deliver her of demons. A month later, when she gets out, she comes sitting in the row with her family in her right mind. They're thanking us. You remember this, babe? Thanking us for what we did. I, I didn't even pray, but I, that was a story. Now, I have seen since lots of things. I've seen it here in Long Beach, I've seen it in the UK. Central London, where, where this little tiny 100-pound blondie little girl is kicking off six grown men. And then I watch, you know, speaking the authority of Christ over her, she just goes flat, and then she starts cussing at me, knowing all my sin. My wife was there cussing at me as the preacher. I was preaching at this event. We are in India this last trip, and this one girl is manifesting a demon, and she's got people praying for her. She's doing this thing. It's so weird. It's very, like, other, like, it's just weird. You don't know what's going on. I still think it's weird. And I come over. I speak English. She doesn't speak English. I cast out the demon. I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out of a daughter, a daughter of the king and go to Jesus to let him deal with you without missing a beat. Actually, I say, and, and come out of the, the daughter of the king. And she, the, immediately the demon leaves her. She goes flat. And the girl next to us, her friend, starts doing the same exact thing immediately. It literally just jumped to this girl. We're like, what the heck? What's going on? She falls down. She gets up. She's like getting food, and we give her some water. She's like recovering. This, and then I'm like, oh, no, we got to send the demon to Jesus. That's what it, it's not just send him out. Send it to Jesus. And so we, we exercise. This is what we, our team experienced. You, you guys, this is normal, right? We need deliverance, not just from the possession. Let me say, the spiritual opposition of addiction, of depression and anxiety, of self-hatred and self-doubt, of sickness. I told you last week, not all of it is caused by demonic activity, but brothers and sisters, can we just, as we go and get medicine, as we get medical treatment, as we have people um, coming to, to, as we go to chiropractors and all these things, can we also recognize there's a spiritual realm and just throw some prayers up against those things as well? That's, That's all I'm trying to say is let us engage the spiritual things. Right? It's like when I pray for someone, I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for their identity. I'm praying for false memories. I'm praying for all that. And I'm praying against the spiritual attacks the enemy would have against them. And I just feel like there's so much oppression in our church, and we don't want to name it. Next week, we'll talk about naming the spiritual oppression. So what, what's your name? Legion. There's something about naming it that's really powerful. Okay, I'm going a little long, and I'm sorry, because we've we got to worship together. Um, we're an hour and 15 minutes into our service. But I want to land with this is the ministry of Jesus, preaching healing and deliverance. As disciples, we're invited to do all of his ministry. So what are you forgetting about in your daily life? Are you are you preaching? Are you healing? Are you delivering? <laughs> Maybe all of them. Um, I know I'm missing a couple of them. And um, and lastly, I just want to say, how do we now prepare and engage for spiritual warfare? So just a quick quick. Like, quick thoughts on this. I just want to, I'll just scan through this list because I want to give you practical. We can post this online if you wanted to. So some of you, the number one way to engage and battle spiritual warfare is first you have to come under the authority and power of Jesus. You have to have faith in Jesus. So some of you are here and you don't have faith in Jesus. You haven't committed your life to Jesus and your life doesn't look like what Jesus wants it to. So I just want to give you an opportunity today to respond to the call that Jesus is Lord. He's been raised from the dead and you are invited to be in loving relationship with him as you are and not as you should be and you're invited to partner now in the restoration of all things as his follower. Does that sound like good news? So Um, I'll pray at the end. If there's anyone here that wants to make that commitment, number one place for spiritual battle is you gotta come under his authority and power and be in faith with Jesus. Second is worship and praise. The enemy hates a worshiping person, community, family. Uh, You know, when Alex and I, we're going through hard times, we'll just turn on worship music and let's just start worshiping. There's conflict. Let's just, hey, let's turn, let's be, let's make sure we worship together. Let's praise in this household, because it's so easy to go into the places of darkness and despair and give the enemy a foothold. Third is confession in in a community. You can't have a spiritual life without community, and I think as a church, we need to be confessing our sins more, just calling it out. Every time I take communion, I'm just remembering the sins and what it took Jesus to die on the cross for my personal life. In this past week, I just confess it here. I'll confess it to my friends. I confess it to my wife. We need to be giving... um, No space for the enemy to keep us hiding. That's what he wants us to do is isolate. Uh, The best defense, I'm sorry, the best offense is a good defense. Holiness is how we battle spiritual warfare. That's the breastplate of righteousness, right? So we need to be um, getting rid of ongoing sin in our life, resisting temptation, practicing spiritual disciplines. The fifth is, um, I would say, you need to be reading scripture. This is the sword read scripture regularly, be filled with the spirit regularly, and most important is just prayer. And so next couple of weeks, we'll talk about how we engage through prayer. There's all different kinds of prayer. We need intercessory prayer. We need a specific prayer. I think let's stop using generalized prayer. I want us to develop a vocabulary as a follower of Jesus of deep, intimate prayer life, specific things. People in my life, I'm always asking for the specifics. Well, what, what, do you, what kind of job do you, you want prayer for a job? What kind of job? When do you want it by? Like what, like in what area? Like let's just get specific. That's how I know it works, right? And then, and then so we'll talk about a prayer of deliverance and, um, and healing prayer as well.